0: Welcome, everybody, to Between the Lines, a podcast produced by the Louis Jacobs Foundation and committed to Rabbi Jacobs' belief that the quest for Torah is itself Torah. My name is Simon Eder, and I'm joined each week by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's Parsha, exploring new paths on the quest for Torah. And as we continue our quest through Shemot, and as we reach to Rumah this week, it is wonderful to be joined by Rabbi Sarah Pasha Orlau, who is the executive director of uh, Northeastern Hillel. Ordained at JTS, she participated in a pluralist leadership training fellowship and also interned at the LGBTQ synagogue in New York City, and that was during the peak of the HIV-AIDS crisis, providing pastoral care and community support. She's also a founder of the Bavli Yerushalmi Project, bringing diverse Israeli and American Jews into a learning community together, and has started a non-profit service learning organization for Jewish young adults. She's also the author, co-author of the book, Deathbed wisdom of the Hasidic masters, and multiple book chapters and articles on spiritual care. Wonderful to have you with us. A very warm welcome to Between the Lines, Rabbi Sarah.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
0: As we embark on Shemot and Chapter Twenty Five, we encounter the Lord saying to Moses that the Israelite people should bring gifts. And as we read, you shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart so moves them. And there's that particular phrase, yidvenu libo. I wonder really what you make of that phrase. What does it mean?
1: So I want to give a little context as I dive in there. This command is given to build a sanctuary for God, and it's given while Moses is on the mountain in a cloud, appearing to have been consumed by fire. The ish Ochelet baroshahar, he's been eaten by the fire on the top of the mountain, and Moses is inside that mountaintop and is there for forty days and forty nights, and that's when he receives these words from God: "Yidvenu libo, you shall accept gifts from me from every person whose heart so moves him." The root of the word "yidvenu." is one you might be familiar with. It's this nadav, the nadev, to volunteer. And so a literal translation of that phrase could be from every person according to the volunteering of their heart, take gifts for me, or according to the generous nature of their heart. Rabbi, Robert Alter, I should say, translates it as his heart may urge him. The implication is that the act of giving must be accompanied by this volunteering heart, a heart that is reaching out to serve the other person. So that could be one who's, if we think about it today, investing time and energy in order to understand and relate to a person in need when we act towards others with a generosity of spirit. Swarno is a 15th century Italian commentator who writes about this verse that no items of monetary value could be given, but rather items that would themselves be used for the work of building the sanctuary. So the Israelites did not contribute money. Instead, they brought 13 materials actually needed for the building project and all of its accoutrement. So gold and silver and copper and blue and purple and crimson yarns. And if you think about those things, they have very different values. We're not talking about one value item. You've got Yarn, which you know, probably the most simple person might be able to get from their sheep. And you've got copper, gold, and silver, and fine linen, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, all of these things that came together to create the Mishkan. So the Venuli Bo implies this very involved and diversified approach.
0: Thank you for setting that out in the beginning. I really wonder, obviously we have the people giving willingly, both for the Mishkan and then proceeding that for the golden calf as well. I wonder really what is the essential difference between the two?
1: It's an incredible counterpoint in the text here. So while Moses is up on the mountain receiving all these detailed instructions for building this tabernacle, this Beautiful dwelling place for God to dwell amongst. The people are waiting and getting impatient, and they're asking Aaron to make a God for them. This gets detailed in the Torah a few chapters ahead of us in chapter 32. And Aaron then tells them to take off their gold earrings and bring them to him, which they do without any recorded hesitation. And he then casts that gold into the golden calf for them to worship. So they give up their gold. Um, and then worship before it. So there's no personal initiative here. It's Aaron asking specifically for their gold, and then they worship their own gold in the form of an idol. So there's a way in which this is a sort of self-indulgence, an egocentric act. It's true that in both cases the people give willingly, but in the Mishkan example, they are giving to create something for the other and for God to inhabit And in the case of the golden calf, they're fulfilling their own need. And in the case of the Mishkan, you've got the artisans, all of the people are called upon to do the work of the building. And in the case of the calf, it's Aaron taking it and casting it into the golden calf. So we see the Mishkan is designed as this reminder of a physical presence for God, a God who's communicated this vast code of ethics and behavioral norms. And this building of the Mishkan is this communal effort and of free will offerings and the labor of people's hands. Whereas the gold for the golden calf, it doesn't come with a moral code. It's an end in and of itself. So there's this great distinction positive here.
0: What do you see really as the motivation behind the golden calf? And maybe what really does it say about aaron's leadership
1: mm. moses isn't seemed to be returning 40 days is a really long time the people are scared they're insecure possibly feeling alienated and begging in a sense for this god to lead them moses isn't leading them and so we understand right there that they're not feeling aaron's presence aaron's leadership because if they were they might not have so greatly felt moses's absence And so you see Aaron, rather than trying to lead them, trying to placate them. He's wanting to please the people. He's wanting to respond. But we don't see the same sense of filling leadership that we see in Moses.
0: So it really fills the void of the missing Moses.
1: Rather than Aaron filling that void, he creates this object for them that that is trying to fill that void.
0: And and do you see that as perhaps consistent with Aaron throughout or?
1: I mean, we know from the text that Aaron is there to speak for Moses, right? Aaron is not necessarily ever posited as a great leader in and of himself. And what's beautiful in some ways is this accord between the two brothers and they're working together. We don't have a lot of brothers that work together in the Torah up till this point. So there's something beautiful about the relationship between them. But in some ways, when Moses is on the mountaintop, Moses can't communicate with the people. He doesn't have Aaron there. And when Aaron is down below, he doesn't have the leadership. So they really do function very much as a team.
0: So the calf is the golden calf is really the substitute for Moses, then?
1: I think so. I think that the golden calf. Is it's a Moses went before them in the desert. You have this sense, and now it's the golden calf that they're putting before them to lead them. At the same time, they're looking for something to worship. They're looking for, ultimately, they're not going to worship Moses. They're, Moses is able to bring them or connect them or guide them in the worship of and getting to know how to worship God. So it's a moment, it's a break in the communication and in the pathway of this spiritual maturation or evolution of the people and a very and a possibly disastrous break god is very angry and moses has to then become the mediator to regain the trust for the people but the calf it's interesting because i think some of the commentators speak about calves as being another symbol at that time that a god presence could rest upon so you see aaron maybe trying without god's direction god gives moses direction as to how to build the mishkan aaron is left without any guidance in how to build a Mishkan. So it's possible that Aaron really believes that in building the golden calf, he is creating something for God's presence to dwell on. I don't want to condemn his intent. It's just that he doesn't have the direction and they're stuck waiting.
0: Maybe let's go back to the counterpoint. And I really wonder what is the significance of the giving truma in maybe the wider context of the narrative of Torah?
1: There's something very essential and good in the act of giving, like litro, to give. When one is moved to give is only truma when it's not forced, when it's an expression of freedom. So in that way, truma is the opposite of slavery and the forced work and lack of ownership of that which you create. You can only give if you own what is the creation of your hands to give. Um, without that freedom of self, we're not able to give freely. So it is an incredible act of freedom of not being enslaved anymore because we own the work of our hands and we can then offer it to the other freely. And in that way, it can only happen in relationship as well. It's the desire to give has to have an object, a receiver, and someone who can be made happy, be taken care of, benefit from one's act of giving. So in that way, God's greatest gift to us was life, the creation of the world and of humanity and of life. That's the very origin story of our gratitude is this life we've been given, this breath that we breathe, this incredible world that we are here to care for. And in this moment of the building of the Mishkan, we try to give that same gift to God. We try to create for God a home amongst us. And it's our active creation story and our greatest act of giving and of hospitality. Hospitality is this incredibly important mitzvah. And when we prepare for guests, like this building of the Mishkan is the ultimate vision of of hospitality in some ways. How do we make something so beautiful that God will want to live there? And similarly, how do we ensure the comfort and happiness of guests who who enter any one of our homes? And to do that, we really have to know the other.
0: You're maybe hinting at, perhaps a a final point to to discuss, and perhaps drawing on your own important work as well, I really wonder how we might associate with the act of giving truma today.
1: It's such a beautiful question. I think that truma can get simply understood as a tide, but this Parsha tells us so much more about it and about the potential for understanding truma in a much more rich way. Rabbi Sachs notes that in the word Mishkan, we have the word Shachem, the word neighbor. And he notes that God had been distant before, and now God is going to be close to us like a neighbor. And I think that's a bit of a clue to understanding Truma better today. The ways that we build a Mishkan today perhaps are as simple as when we really put our love and care into supporting Jewish life when we show empathy and understanding. And when we do that, we are bringing God into our communities and our lives. And this work in Hillel for me right now, I know the college campuses have been a sore point in Jewish life these days. And I feel like I experience the power of Truma every day. We have very involved parents, very involved alumni and friends of our Hillel and who are deeply interested and care about what's happening on campus. And they are happy, helping us build a Mishkan here for our students. When they contribute to our hillel, it's not just money; it's phone calls and thoughtfulness and time and energy and and the trust of their of the students here and and we get to create this safe and advocacy place for students and it's and it and I start to see a circle in a circle because. The students then are also giving. They're caring for each other. They're coming in and cooking food for a local shelter. It's these circles and side circles of giving. And to me, that begins to just really embody Truma as something that creates a Mishkan, a place where God can dwell, a place that helps us live in sacred relationship with one another and with God.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And sharing your important work, and particularly at this time as well, wishing you strength and and much success in, in in all your important work.
1: Thank you so much. Really a pleasure to join you today.
0: Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about our information, and our work at louisjacobs.org and also jewishquest.org. Do tune in again next week as we continue our journey through Shemot together.